0: This is the Gospel City Church Podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's message comes from John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Amen.
1: Thanks, Abigail. Pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. The tallest guy in the room? Come on. I'm up there, but maybe not the tallest. So... I do want to begin tonight by thanking the Gospel City leadership for giving me this opportunity to speak to you. Um, for those of you who, whom I have not met yet, my name is, is Steve Colley, and as Sean mentioned, my family and I moved to Seoul in January of 2021, and before moving to Korea, I was a pastor at a, at a church in a small town in North Carolina, I was there for 15 years, and uh, my, my title was administrative pastor. Now, while I was tasked with, with many things that kept the lights on, one thing that I did not do regularly was preach. So I am a little bit out of my element, of, not in my wheelhouse tonight, but, uh, but in, in preparing for this, my appreciation really grew for, for Sean and, and Shen and, and Joel as, as the work week in and week out through prayer and preparation and steady to, to bring us the word. And it is that God-honoring practice, it's the proclamation of the gospel that I think is one of the things that makes Gospel City such a special community. So thank you, gentlemen, for, for that work. And with that said, I just hope I don't mess things up too much tonight. And so, so when the team asked me to speak, I turned almost immediately to the book of John. It's, um, it's one of my favorites, but specifically to a section of Scripture called, called the Farewell Discourse. Now, the Farewell Discourse runs from roughly the end of chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17, and, and it, it, it takes place. It's, it's a moment in time that takes place the night before Jesus is crucified. And it's something special. It's something beautiful. It's something mesmerizing happening. And that's why I spend a lot of time in these passages, this farewell discourse. I spend a lot of time there memorizing and studying and just soaking in the Word. And so for tonight, I I picked the beginning of the farewell discourse, the the, the first few verses that that got us there. But for those of you who've read the book of John before, you do know that there's a lot of drama that is leading up to this moment. I mean, just, just as recently as chapter 12, we see Jesus... Entering to cheering crowds, entering the town of Jerusalem and the Greeks, the Greeks are seeking him. They want to be around him while the Jews are looking for ways to destroy him. And Jesus, Jesus himself, Jesus, he's predicting his own death. We turn the page into chapter 13, and we see Jesus, knowing that his, that his time has come, he, he calls his friends together, and they share one last meal, the, the Passover meal. And then Jesus, in a humbling gesture, gets down, and he washes the feet of his disciples. And if that wasn't enough drama leading up to this moment, Jesus then immediately calls out, Judas, as the one who is going to betray him. And as Judas leaves the room and the door is shutting, we get to today's passage. Let me read it again. Read along with me. Therefore, when Jesus had left, when, excuse me, therefore, when he had left Judas, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in Himself, and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I'm with you a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Okay, so as we get started tonight, I want you guys to take a quiz. Just pop quiz, pop quiz. It's just one question. It's really easy. It's kind of a self Evaluation kind of quiz on a scale of one to ten. On a scale of one to ten, where would you rank yourself on the biblical command to love one another? Me, I'm probably going to rank myself like a like a seven or an eight. You know, I, I think I think that's I don't know that's that, that's about right. I mean, there's a few self-aware folks in this room who are really going to. they're going to rank themselves like fours and fives. There's a few people who might think very highly of themselves and rank themselves eights or nines, you know? But a 10? Does anybody... Come on, nobody's perfect. Nobody ranks themselves a 10 on this kind of scale because we're not perfect, right? At at the end of the day, though, at the end of the day, I have a hunch. I have a hunch that most of us ranked ourselves pretty high. Yeah, 7. But I also have a hunch that secretly you're thinking that those around me, they could probably do a little bit better. So, but when you stop to think about the fine print here in the passage that we just read in Jesus' command, you may not rank yourself so high. Because here's, here's what he said in, in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Did you hear it? Did you, did you hear the fine print? Did you hear that, that little phrase, even as I have loved you? You guys, it's that little phrase, even as I have loved you, that takes this from like a regular command and bumps it all the way up to like a, like a Mount Everest kind of command like a Mount Everest kind of command, because, you know, Mount Everest is, is a place on the planet Earth where some people, not me, some people can actually get to the summit of Mount Everest, but I'll tell you what they don't find when they get there. They don't find houses. Nobody is living at the summit of Mount Everest. And that is what we're talking about here. On rare occasions, On rare occasions, we may succeed in loving others as Christ loved us. But none of us live there. We've got to be honest with ourselves. None of us live there. It's the same as Paul's command, like in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I've been married a long time, and I can tell you, you never reach a point where you can say, I've got that one. <laughs> Let's move on to other things. I got it down. No, these are the types of commands that we keep working on our entire lives. And while we're talking about verse 34 here, you may be wondering, this one bugged me for a while. You may be wondering, in what sense is Jesus talking about a new commandment, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you? Because after all, in Leviticus, Chapter nineteen, eighteen. it commands, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. In fact, the entire Old Testament can almost be summed up in the two commands, love God and love your neighbor. So in what sense is this new? Well, that? It's that little clause, as I have loved you. It's that little clause that makes it new. Most scholars agree with this, that it's Jesus' sacrificial love in going to the cross that makes this the new standard. And so tonight, the main idea is fairly simple to state, but nearly impossible to live out without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus commands us to love one another even as he loved us. And that, my friends, is the crux of this command. We need to love as Jesus loved. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, good news. Tonight, in the eight short verses that we just looked at, we see five examples of how Jesus, Jesus loved us. We have five aspects of Jesus' love on display. We see that Jesus' love was costly. We see that his love was caring, commanded, conspicuous, committed. You see how we have five C's there? You know it's going to be a good sermon when we can have that kind of alliteration. And so (laughs) I didn't come up with those. This uh, writer named Stephen Cole came up with them, and I want him to have the credit and because of him, I will have to define conspicuous for you when we get there. And so I had to look it up. All right. First of all, Jesus's love was costly. Let's start with costly. We can see this in verse 31 and 32. Read it with me. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. My friends, he is talking about the cross. He's talking about the cross. It is his death on the cross that he was referring to, and it is the cross that glorifies both the Father and Jesus. You see, on, on one level... The cross was the epitome of humiliation and shame. There was no worse way to die than to be stripped naked, flogged, nailed to a splintery cross, and then hung up to suffer a slow death as a public spectacle. But on the other hand, in another sense, a a superior sense, The cross was the epitome of glory for both the Father and the Son because at the cross, God's love and righteousness and justice and mercy and grace were all on display. At the cross, God's justices were upheld. At the cross, His love and grace shine forth. The point is, Jesus loved us enough to choose the cross. Don't mistake the fact that that was costly. It was costly. Yeah, sure, it cost pain and suffering. Yeah, it, it cost Humiliation. In fact, it even cost him his own life. But ultimately, ultimately, it cost him everything to have to drink the cup of God's wrath so that we don't have to. It was costly. And this theme is repeated over and over and over throughout the Bible. We see it in John three sixteen, that beloved verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We see it in Ephesians 5.25. We read it earlier. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. We see it in 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And I realize that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, like we read about in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12. But he did so willingly. My friends, going to the cross was an act of supreme sacrifice. It was, in fact, the ultimate act of love. And I think it's quite an understatement that if we are going to love as Jesus loved us, It is going to cost us something. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being loved in a community that is going to love you regardless of the cost? When you walk in with your baggage, when you walk in with your weaknesses, when you walk in with your failures, and this community does not love you less but more, man, I want to be a part of that community. I want to be loved like that. Jesus' love was costly. But Jesus' love, point number two, Jesus' love was caring. And we can see that in verse 33. Read it Read it with me. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. We see Jesus's tender care here for his disciples in two ways. First, he addresses them as little children, and it's the only time that this Phrase is used in the gospel. In fact, it's only used in the New Testament, in, in the book of First John, where it's used seven times. It is a word of tender feelings, much like a father would have towards his children uh, who need his help and protection. But it is not a phrase, it is not a word that is used often to describe grown men. Little children. That would have their attention. Secondly, we see Jesus as tender care for his own and that he explains to him that he will be leaving soon. Not just leaving, that, that he, they cannot follow him to heaven at this time. He explains it patiently to Peter in our passage today and then in chapter 14 to the rest of the, rest of the disciples. Picture again with me, a caring father, explaining to his children that he has to go away. And they cannot accompany him, but he promises that they will be reunited later. The point is that Jesus' love was filled, Jesus was filled with tender love for these men, for his disciples, for his friends. And again, can you imagine Think about our community. Can you imagine if we loved one another with this type of care, this type of patience? Because Jesus knows that the next few days are going to be really hard for his friends. He knows what's coming. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be judged. He knows that he's going to be tried. He's going to be abused. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. And he knows that his friends are going to be scared. And they're going to be questioning everything with, oh, so many questions. And they're going to be confused. What if our community loved us? And they were patient with us when we were scared and confused and had so many questions. Again, I want to be loved like that. Jesus' love was commanded. A new commandment I give to you. This is verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you love one another. You guys, in going to the cross, Jesus was obeying his Father's commandment. And now he commands his followers to love one another, even as he loved us. And here's the thing: the fact that Jesus commanded it, it means that we can do it. It means that we should do it. First John 4, 19 through 20 says, We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? My friends, there is no excuse if you fail to love another believer. But here's the kicker. You cannot do it on your own strength. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Produced in us when we walk in dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Galatians 5 love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. And like any fruit, love takes time to grow. It's fragile, it's delicate, but it's delicious and it's attractive. It's attractive. You guys, the Christian community is designed to be one of the most attractive things the world has ever seen. If we lived out this command, if we truly loved one another as Jesus loved us, people would come from around the world just to taste and see what makes us unique and different. And that actually leads me to one of the tough ones. This leads me to point four, conspicuous. Okay, first of all, conspicuous, it's just a fancy word. It means obvious. And so Jesus's love was, was obvious to those around. Jesus's love was known. We see it in John 35, 1335. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another that's that's conspicuous that is known that we're going to be known as a disciple just by the way that we love one another and Jesus was not talking about just having these nice warm thoughts about each other no 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 he was talking about actions he was talking about a love that can be seen, it stems from the heart, but it is seen in outward actions. It's the sort of love that stands out in a self-centered world. They should see the way that Christians love one another and they say, oh, they must be followers of Jesus. You guys, this is, this is where things get a little dicey for me because I love the church. But sadly, whether it's justified or not, recently the church has not been seen as the bastion of love that she's designed to be. All too often, the church is known more for its fighting and division over petty issues than it is for love. And at some point, Christians have become more interested in winning culture wars than they are in winning souls. And that's just outward facing. Inwardly, among brothers and sisters, in Christ, we're often distracted by posturing and pridefulness and even theological bickering rather than humbly loving one another as Christ loved us. We worship a God who desires unity with and among His children. So take a moment and examine your heart. Are you one who sows discord? Are you one who sows discord even with brothers and sisters in this room? Are you quick to tear down another ministry or or another church because they're theologically out of step with you? Or... As you strive for that Mount Everest goal of loving as Jesus loved, can you set aside your pride and forgive those who've wronged you? If we're going to love as Jesus loved, we're going to have to focus less on ourselves and more on him because, as we've seen, Jesus' love was costly, it was caring, it was commanded, conspicuous. And finally, Jesus' love was committed. 36-38 reads, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. (laughs) Jesus answered, will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you that not a, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Peter, 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 Peter. (laughs) What is it like to boast yourself into such a colossal failure? Jesus knew that Peter would deny him, and he predicts it here. He knew that all the disciples, all the disciples would flee when he was arrested. And in spite of their protest to the contrary, but Jesus did not cast them off because of their failures. He loved them to the end. He was committed, he showed them love by restoring them and using them after the resurrection. Love means being committed to the other person's highest good. The highest good for all people is that they would become more like Jesus Christ and growing in holiness and living to glorify him. That commitment to the other person's highest good is the glue. That's the glue that holds a marriage together. That's the glue that's going to hold a community together, is being committed to one another. So as we, as we close out our time today, I, I, I want to just bring everything together. Stephen Cole, uh, he, he presented a biblical definition of love using these five points that, that, he, that he wrote down. He says, Love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment, which in obedience to Jesus shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one love. The costliness of love means that we have to sacrifice our selfishness for others. The caring aspect of love means that we should never be calloused or rude. Love is kind. The commandment facet of love means that we need to do it in obedience obedience. To our Savior who gave himself up for us. The conspicuous part of love means that it just does not consist of nice thoughts, but of visible actions. And the commitment of love is to see the other person become more like Christ, which is his highest good and for God's glory. Now I recognize that everything I talked about from where I started to right now, it sounds good in theory. It does but it's ideal, but we live in a sinful world. (laughs) We're gonna be presented with so many difficult situations where we go, I know I need to love like Jesus, but I can't right here. (laughs) All I can do as we we turn our attention to kind of applying what we talked about is offer a few seeds of thought. First and foremost, as I said before, if we're going to love as Jesus loved us, it is going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to abide in the Spirit, then we must be a people who live by faith. And by faith meaning that we trust that we are to love as Jesus loved. Because you know as well as I do, that that is not natural to our fleshly souls. If somebody hurts me or my family, I want to hurt them back. If somebody rejects me, loving them is not my go-to plan. It takes humility to love as Jesus loved. It takes faith to live with that type of humility. And don't forget where we started this whole journey tonight. The farewell discourse, it begins with the door closing as Judas walks out of the room rejecting Jesus. Judas, one of the inner circle, arguably one of Jesus', Jesus closest companions, rejects him and moments after Jesus washed his feet. You guys, if we're going to love like this, it's going to be scary. It's going to feel foolish. But if you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then I implore you, I implore you to live your life faithfully loving one another as he loved you. Yes, it's going to cost you, and it may seem reckless, but, I, but it's this type of love It's this type of love lived out in community that is going to change the world. And I promise you that if you live this way, if you love as Jesus loved, not only will you draw closer to God than you've ever been before, you will glorify Him in your obedience.
0: If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.